Hello and welcome to a special field report from Farmerama. From the 9th to the 25th of September, Urban Food Fortnight Fun descends on London. Here's Claire Gilbert from London Food Link to tell us what this special edition is all about. So Urban Food Fortnight is our celebration of all the food that's being grown, made, cooked and saved in London. There's loads going on behind closed doors, from community gardens to surplus food being saved from markets and shops. There's so much going on and here at London Food Link we like to think we're the voice for good food in London. So this is really our chance to shout about it and let people know what's happening. Big thanks to Jasmine who went and got loads of stories for us for this edition. So in this episode we're going to concentrate on the four themes of Urban Food Fortnight. Grow, make, cook, save. Let the journey begin. Firstly, we head to Grow Up Farms. This farm is based in a very urban industrial estate in East London, but inside, the building is piled high with rows of leafy greens. Grow Up Farms is London's first commercial aquaponics farm. Jasmine met with CEO Kate Hoffman to give us a bit of an intro to how this works and why she thinks it's an important technology for growing in cities. We are sat at Unit 84, which is the UK's first commercial aquaponic urban farm. And it's the first commercial farm that Grow Up Urban Farms has built. We've been running now for, or we've been in production for about six months. We moved into this farm about 14 months ago. And just then it was an empty warehouse and we fitted it out with our indoor vertical aquaponic system and now we are selling salads and herbs and microgreens and soon we'll be selling the fish too to customers across London. Aquaponics is a combination of two well-established farming practices, aquaculture, farming fish, and hydroponics, growing plants in a nutrient solution without any soil. We take the wastewater from the fish farm use that as the nutrient source for the plants. The plants absorb those waste nutrients in the water, actually clean the water for the fish, and the whole system recirculates. So it's a very water-efficient way of farming. We have a natural fertiliser base from the fish waste, and we don't use any pesticides or insecticides in our growing room. Some parts of that technology have been around for a really long time. So. You know, hundreds of years ago in China, farmers would flood their rice paddy fields and put fish into them, and the fish would eat any bugs that were around, and they would fertilise the plants, and then when you drained the field, you'd have your rice and your fish to eat. So that symbiosis between the two systems, or the two types of growing, that's been around for a long time. What's sort of more innovative and new, and what we're doing is bringing that together in an urban environment and controlling that whole system indoors. In a way, what we're doing here is very different and feels very different from a traditional arable or an arable farm or a horticulture business. But actually, it's still, as a business, it, it operates in a very similar way. You know, you're focused on your yield and that's where you make your revenue from and that's what covers your cost as a business. And although it might seem different and it might not be how people would expect food to be grown. Actually I think the reality is most people have no idea how their food is grown, especially if you live in a city and you don't really have much contact with agriculture. People have no idea in, in our 
you know, our food system, especially for this country, it's already heavily industrialised. We import a lot of our food, especially fresh produce, and the majority of that is not grown by Farmer Bob in a field, you know, with his tractor. We're already using a lot of technology and innovation in the way that we produce food because we have to in order to be able to produce it in the quantity that people need it. Yeah, as I said, it's about finding a combination of things to use. So I guess there are certain places in the world where it makes sense to do certain types of farming depending on what the land is and what the resources are available. But there are also certain places, namely cities, where you have a big concentration of people and you need to be able to make the best use of the space that you've got in order to feed them. And the reality is that that volume of food you know, and the consistency throughout the year that people require cannot just come from very traditional farming methods. People are very receptive and I think in London especially, increasingly what we see is that people are really interested in where their food has come from and st people are starting to understand that actually the food you choose to buy and eat has a difference in terms of environmental impact, they might also care about the health implications for themselves they also might just be you know cost conscious and our main social purpose is not about uh, education or, or outreach our social impact is around our job creation and, and skills and development program for our staff actually but on the other hand to be on top of that to be able to have that interaction with people can be a very positive thing to help them understand a bit more about what it takes to produce the food they eat Grow up are holding two Meet the Producer events during the fortnight. Head to the Albion in Clerkenwell on the 13th of September or Eat 17 on the 21st and they'll tell you a bit more about their project and you'll get to sample their microgreens. They're also on the producers list so make sure you keep an eye out for them in restaurants and shops across the capital. At Farmerama we're always probing positive farming futures and we're interested to see how aquaponics fits with this. At the moment there's so many different perspectives, it's hard to know. From regenerative growing to regenerative making, we ventured to a wonderful courtyard haven in Dalston, where we chatted to Max Tobias of the Dusty Knuckle Bakery, surrounded by bee gardens and plentiful plants, to hear about the process of making and baking in the city. Dusty Knuckles is all about making beautiful bread and delicious things with great care and obsessive energy. They're also a social enterprise crafting their bread with youth offenders and early school leavers. The bakery are implementing their youth engagement program slowly but surely, and Max has a few ideas of how to get started with a social enterprise. I'm Max Tobias, I'm one of the co-founders of the Dusty Knuckle Bakery here, and I, I've been obsessed with making bread since I was quite young. Um, I made my first loaf of bread when I was about 12. It just, yeah, triggered a bit of an obsession really. Uh, about four or five years ago I started to think seriously about trying to open a bakery. I was working with young people um, in a number of different roles for mainly kind of charities um, and that work was really with young people who were in a lot of trouble and involved with criminality and violence and so on and I, my dream was to start a bakery that could engage young people um, in the workplace really and kind of teach them about what it is to earn their keep and kind of 
enter the world of legitimate work and hopefully see more of a future for themselves, a financially independent future. And so, yeah, this bakery kind of combines my two passions, which which was bred as a kind of hobby up to that point, and youth engagement as a profession. We started to apply for some kind of startup funding, and thankfully were successful with one or two of those bids, and then entered into a partnership with Bootstrap, the charity here who are our landlords and who lease us this space. They had this shipping container sitting here uh, doing nothing. So, and yeah, before we knew it, we kind of had a small amount of money to buy an oven and we had somewhere to put it. So in the future, what we would like is uh, to work with young people who haven't worked before. Um, and we see that happening in a kind of phased program if you like so it would begin with with quite kind of light touch trying to really just provide a kind of hook to get get the feet through the door as it were and to generate an interest and then moving forward into more kind of structured work experience programs and for those with whom the fit is right moving forward again into kind of part-time and then full-time employment in the future i'd like to partner with organized like third sector organizations like um, Hackney Quest, uh, Spark to Life, those trying to engage young people perhaps with some additional needs. Um, hopefully going forward in the longer term future we can engage statutory organisations as well like the Youth Offending Services, the Care System. But at the same time I'm trying to be kind of pragmatic with what we kind of can't do whilst we're still a quite a fledgling business ultimately. So it's kind of always trying to be strategic with our resources so that we kind of tick, you know, long-term aims as well as short-term aims. A piece of advice that I got very, very early on, which has really stayed with me, is um, that the number one single most important trait of any social entrepreneur is endurance. If you really want to make it happen, you've got, you've got to really strap up your boots and prepare yourself for a kind of long-term slog. Darcy Knuckle are on the Urban Food Fortnite producers list, so make sure you keep an eye out for them. And they've also kindly donated a prize for our raffle at the 5x15 Future of Urban Food event taking place at Farmopolis on the 22nd September. Make sure you head to that to be in with a chance to win. Once the bread has been baked and the greens grown, of course the chefs of the city can't wait to get their hands on this local and seasonal produce. Oliver Rowe is a London-based chef, and he has a few tips on what it takes to serve seasonal and local produce in the city. I became a chef about 20 years ago, because maybe 19 years ago, because I went initially on a working holiday to Tuscany. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I have a passion for local and seasonal food, because all the produce that we were using there was amazing. Um, and it came, was mostly grown locally. So that was, for me, that's it sort of set the tone for what food should be about for me. That's how I became a chef. And then I came back to London and I got a job at Morrow, which is a Spanish and North African restaurant in Clerkenwell. Well, in, after Morrow, I sort of came to a bit of a, I wasn't quite sure, a bit of a crossroads, wasn't quite sure what to do. So I opened a cafe, which was all about kind of provincial... European, you know, not, not kind of high cuisine, but, but still with lots of European influences. That, and, and then I opened a restaurant nearby called Constant. The cafe was called Constant. 
and the restaurant was called Constant at the Prince Albert. And that was a really interesting restaurant for the reason that we sourced about 80% of the ingredients that we used were from in and around London or in and around Greater London. Not only did it make me connect with various urban farming projects, various um, growing projects, but I also connected to, reached out to the farms in and around London. So you can't really run a restaurant based on everything just being grown inside the London city limits. It's not really feasible. But but nonetheless, quite a large amount was from really, really very, very close. Um, and the idea was to be a seasonal, really. That was the thing. It followed on from the rationale of the more local you are, the more seasonal you are. Environmental concerns were very important. A few people, yeah, it was something that was becoming important. Um, but also... I looked into the health benefits and the, and the taste benefits. and the, I think also in terms of running a restaurant, one of the most important elements is that if you eat things seasonally, which when you eat things locally you do, then you are eating things when they're in a glut. And when things are in a glut, they're cheaper. So it, it works on four levels. So seasonal eating uses less energy because you're harnessing as many of the basic natural resources you have at your... At your um, uh, disposal. Uh, there are slightly more nutrients in food that is grown seasonally, but it tastes better as well. So, s- seasonal food tastes better. I mean, we just all know that the tomatoes and strawberries in the in the summer taste a million times better. Environment, health, taste, and money. So, there's four. There's four reasons why I think eating things seasonally is is important and beneficial. People expect a lot from restaurants now, but I think that people are much more familiar with the idea of food coming being local, food being seasonal. Okay. Um, so that's something I think it took a while to negotiate. And I think people are very savvy now. So people go into a restaurant and they expect it a lot of the time. If you're not a chain, chains are very different as well, and they're very hard to. That's one of the big nuts that we still have to crack. But if you're not a chain, if you're an independent restaurant, people, you know, they expect a changing menu. They expect that you to be featuring local seasonal produce. They expect a range of you know, vegetarian food and so on. So people are very, quite demanding. Whilst I loved working with urban farming projects and it was great and some of the produce was amazing, it, it, it's, it's rarely going to provide you with enough produce to actually uh, run, a, run a restaurant or a cafe. Um, but you do need to work with lots of different individuals. It takes a bit of time. There's no one, one person you can go to and say, supply me with... UK produce because everyone's trying to everyone's having to make compromises here and there. Do you work with your suppliers and ask them what's locally sourced, what's locally reared, um, and focus on that. Um, and that's and and be prepared to limit your menu. You have to your menu has to reflect the availability of the produce that you are selling, uh, that you can buy, and that forces you to be creative. That's the great thing. Is I think seasonal, seasonal and local produce, because it's because it's an intermittent supply. As a chef, that's great. It forces you to be creative to think about what you've got. It, it gives you like a palette and it gives you like a larder, which you have to select from and make dishes out of. And that changes, and <coughs> that changes as the year goes by. And so you have to come up with new things, new flavors, new combinations, or research interesting recipes, or think and create. Basically, Listening to Oliver brought up a funny question. Is food grown by aquaponics seasonal? 
And what will seasonal mean as climates evolve and drought descends in previously lush landscapes? These are the kinds of questions the cooking sections team are asking through their climavore dinners at the Empire Remains shop in Baker Street. Check them out. Oliver's collaborating this year with the London Cooking Project. They're a really great social enterprise in Battersea and they work to provide opportunities for young people in the area. He holds seasonal supper clubs throughout the year and this month he's holding a special local to London urban food fortnight feast. Join them on the 15th of September for a four-course meal which features producers including Cobble Lane Cured and locally grown veg. As Oliver mentioned, with seasons there's often a glut of produce. All tomatoes are ripe at the same time and sometimes we can't eat them all. So it's important to have effective ways of dealing with leftovers or extra food. Luckily, there are a few people helping us work on this. Laura Hammond from Plan Zeros tells us how both individuals and businesses can start saving surplus food from being piled on the rubbish heap. Plan Zeros is a registered charity and we facilitate donations of surplus food from businesses to charities that are working with people in need. So we get surplus food to charities such as homelessness charities, um, charities that are supporting the elderly, people with mental health issues, substance misuse issues, um, low-income families, things like that. The way we do this is through two projects. Um, One is a project at Borough Market, and that's been running for two years now. It's a very successful project. It was part of the um, Food Save program uh, of the GLA. And the other project um, is an online platform for surplus food donations, and that we launched um, last year. It's a free platform, and it's a social network where businesses can create profiles with the types of food they have to donate when they might um, be donating it. There's over 180 volunteers registered on the platform. Um, not all of them are active, but um, they, they are registered, and charities can contact them to ask if they could help collect and deliver the food if the charities can't do it themselves. Now, I mean, we get inquiries from all over the UK, all over the world, in fact, um, so we definitely see our a platform uh, growing in, in other areas of the UK. It's just that it started in London um, because the co-founders were based here and it's the, the whole Plan Zero basically started out of a movement at Citizens UK. Um, so it was a bunch of um, uh, people that were really concerned about the, the amounts of food they saw going to waste in London and, um, and the people around them who needed it. And definitely we've seen uh, an increase in awareness in general around the issue of food waste and its impact on the environment. Um, and I think you know that's that's evident by recent um, programs on TV, such as Hughes' War on Waste. Um, you know, several years ago, the supermarkets weren't doing anything in terms of redistributing their surplus food, and now several of them um, have major programs to do that, and it's part of their sustainability program in general. So um, I think there's definitely growing awareness, and I think consumers are also putting pressure on the supermarkets. There have been some online campaigns um, trying to get the supermarkets to do more about their food waste. And there's a lot more solutions out there for um, food businesses um, to redistribute their surplus food or you know, for food waste to, to, to dispose of it in a more sustainable way through anaerobic digestion, um, converting it to energy and things like that. So, um, you know, there's lots more apps out there right now as well um, for people to use everything from businesses to consumers. Um, So I think generally it's a good time and everything's moving in the right direction, but 
you know, there's more we can do in terms of encouraging businesses, not not forcing them, but encouraging them to to redistribute their surplus through through tax incentives, um, just making the the food safety issues a little bit more clear, and the FSA is working on that at the moment. Um, so, um, but I think tax incentives would be a huge. Uh, they they do that in the U.S. There's tax breaks. Um, for businesses that donate food, um, so anything we can do to encourage the businesses to to redistribute more would be mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. I think right now for individuals, there's an app called Olio, which is quite a nice solution. Um, so for if you have that salary at home and you know you're not going to use it, you can upload it on their app, and your neighbor can come around and collect it. Okay. Yeah, so there are different solutions out there for individual consumers. Um, that's not something that we're considering at the moment, just because I said we're working directly with charities, and we want to ensure that that food is has been uh, is safe for them. Mm. Yeah. Consumer food waste is about seventy percent of the total food waste in the UK. It's huge, and there's been I mean I think you know there's been a lot of progress through the Love Food Hate Waste campaign of, of RAP, um, but there's still definitely more to be done. And you know even I'm guilty of it sometimes. Um, you know I'm just not careful about watching what's in my fridge and it's gone past the use by date, and I feel awful and um, and everything. So there's definitely more things like which can help you in terms of um, thinking of recipes or things, the ways that you can use that surplus that you have at home. That's such a great example of how technology can really help bring the right people together and allow connections of want and waste. So Plan Zeroes have teamed up with Global Generation's Skip Garden to hold a disco soup on the 18th of September, where you can chop to the beat and save waste food. There'll be DJs, workshops and even a cook-off, so it looks like it's going to be an ace event. So there are over 70 events taking place during the fortnight, So make sure you check out the map online and get down to one of the events between the 9th and the 25th. From open gardens to pop-up dinners and cocktail evenings, there seems to be something for everyone, so get involved. Even if you're not London-based, be sure and check it out, because I found there are lots of inspiring projects featured on there that everyone can learn from. You can find out more on urbanfoodfortnight.org. That's all for now. Toodaloo!